With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the to... Oscar goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me... Mr. Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 250 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 8.12 p.m. on July 2nd, 2021. We are recording this episode a bit early, departing from our regular scheduled Sunday recording because of the 4th of July occurring on that day. So by the time you're listening to this, it will be the 4th of July, so... Happy 4th of July, everybody. Here to join me today for this milestone episode, I have Dan Baer. Good evening, everyone. And Josh Parm. Hello, hello. First of all, let me just say, 250 episodes. Look at us. Mm. Look at us. Pretty impressive. I mean, look at you, Matt. Josh and I have not been on for 250 episodes. Really? But you have. (laughs) I mean, discounting uh, Next Best Theater, yeah, every other podcast that we've ever done. I've been there. I've seen it all. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really cool to kind of reflect. I can't wait until we get to like a nice round number, like 300, you know, because obviously you guys know what we're doing for that episode. We're doing, obviously, an audio commentary of 300. (laughs) Oh, I will be down for that. (laughs) I don't know that anyone else will want to hear my commentary on that. Yeah, I don't know how insightful our thoughts will be, but yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm sure everybody wants to hear our commentary this week on recent changes that were announced by the Academy, by the Golden Globes, and also, too, Can is about to start, so we might as well talk a little bit about that before all of our friends and colleagues hopefully, hopefully have a good experience overseas in France because man I'll tell you from some of the stuff I've been hearing lately it doesn't sound like it's going that smooth so far but we'll see how all this stuff shakes out we're also going to discuss the trailers today for Don't Breathe 2 and The Many Saints of Newark we are not going to be going over the polls because like I said we're recording this on a Friday I like to give everyone until Sunday to finish the existing poll and also before I start up a new one so no poll discussion on this week's episode We'll answer some fan questions as well, but why don't we first kick it around, ask everyone what they've been watching this week. We'll start it off with Dan Bear. Oh, God, uh, don't start with me. <laughs> I just have not watched a lot this week. I'm sort of in recovery from uh, the Tribeca Film Festival ending, and I've kind of taken a bit of a backseat with the movie watching. But um, I did, just before we get on here, 
uh, watch Luca. Oh, I thought you had seen him much earlier. Nope. Um, it's delightful to the surprise of absolutely no one. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, do you, do you think the, those guys over at Pixar, those guys and gals, you think they might know what they're doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I think those people, they, they know how to make movies. Um, it's <laughs> Look, at this point, you know, it's just what we expect from Pixar. I don't think it is in their top tier for me. But it, I mean, it's just delightful and bright and funny and moving. And yeah, I highly recommend. All right. Awesome. I love hearing that. Josh Parham, what about you? I did manage to catch up with a couple of things throughout the week. Um, The biggest thing that I saw was that I actually did get a chance to see Black Widow. Oh, good, good. Nice. And what did you think of this one? Because... You know, reactions to that and reviews are now officially out and people have had a chance to uh, chime in. And I I would say that the reaction has been good, not great, but there doesn't seem to be many bad reactions to it. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I'm not like a huge Marvel fan. Like, I think those movies are kind of fine, but normally I'm not usually the one that is like the target audience for them. And I think this one it has its moments. There's some good action in it. I think Florence Pugh is the best thing about it, but it does sort of feel like kind of more of the same for me in terms of Marvel. So it's good. It's enjoyable for what it is, but I don't think it does much beyond that, in my opinion. I really, really loved the opening of the film, like the lead in into the opening credits and, you know, the cover song. We'll, we'll get into more of this when we have our review episode for this, but uh, I, I, I really, really liked the tone that it set. And, you know, it doesn't have the most memorable set pieces or action, which is typical for these types of films. But some of the character work done by, like you said, Florence Pugh and uh, Rachel Weiss and David Harbour, I thought was having a blast in this movie. It it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it gets better as it goes along. I actually wasn't a big fan of the beginning, but towards like the end, it kind of got a little bit better for me. But like I said, it's it's fine. It's a Marvel movie. You know, we were sort of back to that spectacle again. Another movie that I caught up with was one that had come out earlier that I finally saw, and it's Riders of Justice. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. I finally am sort of in love with this movie, and it really <laughs> shocked me. It truly did, because I think that when you hear the premise to this, I think that you get a very specific picture in your mind of what this movie probably is going to be. And it ends up being very different from that. It actually, like I was so fascinated that it, you think it's going to be like a Liam Neeson type revenge movie. And it ends up sort of critiquing those movies and how like ludicrous and sad they actually are. And it was way more like emotionally, complex than I anticipated it being. And like, yeah, I I really like this movie. I highly recommend yeah. people check it out. Oh, yeah, it's definitely one of my top it easily like my top five favorite films of the year so far. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you both. It's fantastic. The way it just uh, balances the genres and goes in these unexpected directions. Like you said, Josh, that on the surface, you're thinking it's going to be one type of film and it just keeps revealing more and more layers to it to the point that it's like, uh, 
nobody told me that Mads Mikkelsen was going to all of a sudden top his work from another round in this. Like, what is <laughs> happening right now? <laughs> yeah. And so funny. Like, I was not expecting it to be nearly as funny as it was. Oh, yeah. It, it does have a sense of humor to it that is also surprising. And if you're like me and initially you heard the premise and were like, eh, I don't know if that type of movie interests me. Like, believe me, the movie is way more interesting than what you think it is. And I highly recommend it. And then the last movie that I saw this week is I Caught Up With Zola. Oh, my Lord. Wow. I I really like that one, too. I think it's a little slow in some spots, particularly (laughs) at the beginning. I think it takes a little while to get going. But once, like, the trip fully happens, I was completely invested. I think that this movie is exceptionally directed. I really am sort of hoping this movie gets, like, some notices for the directing prizes like i am going to be championing it so hard it's wonderfully shot and the performances like the entire cast is great i was enthralled from almost every moment in this movie i really really enjoyed it i am still very very frustrated by the ending of the movie yeah i was gonna say i have to ask what you thought of the ending yeah i understand kind of intellectually what they were going for with the ending but i do agree that it does feel a little underwhelming in terms of like a complete conclusion to the story. I, I do agree that it is a bit unsatisfying, but it's not enough to like tank the movie for me because everything leading up to it is so compelling that we get to the end and like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little empty, but I'm still willing to go with it. I mean, it didn't tank the movie for me, but it was borderline uh, eight or a nine from me. And then that ending came and it was like, oh, I guess we're going down to a seven. That's pretty much where I was, too. It's like, I don't even know that I get intellectually what it was going for necessarily. But I, I, it's just the fact more for me that it doesn't really end. Like there isn't a last beat. And I, and I told I told them they asked for my opinion on this uh, when I saw it at Sundance nearly two years ago. And I told them, I was like, you got to add some sort of text at the end, like over the visuals or over black something to tell us what happened to these characters beyond the point where the movie just ends, because it it did leave me feeling kind of hollow and it was very anticlimactic. I, yeah. And I'm, I'm very disappointed that they didn't even do that because it's based on a true story. You can easily explain via some text at the end, what happened to these characters after this whole wild adventure was over. Well, and what happened after is almost as wild as what happens in the movie. So, like, I don't know why they didn't go there. Yeah, it feels like there's an emotional resolution at the end, but we needed maybe one more thing to kind of put the story itself at a conclusion. And I think that is missing, but I I get it enough. And like I said, I was sort of into the movie so much up until that point that also like everybody kept saying the ending is underwhelming. So maybe I was like a little bit prepared for it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think maybe that helped my expectations. So, I mean, regardless, I think it's an incredible movie that people should see. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Shanixa Bravo, her, her first film lemon is fine in no way prepared me for what she does in this. I, totally agree with you josh and i was not even a big fan of lemon like at all yeah so this was a complete surprise for me yeah oh and michael levy can we just like take a moment to appreciate 
Oh yeah. Like mm. there is no one doing better film scores than Michael Levy. Nope. Completely agree. Uh, for myself this week, um, I, I do want to mention Black Widow because the reactions did um, drop for that. And I, I saw it a little while ago, but at the same time, as I mentioned, good, not great. Definitely mid-tier MCU for me. But uh, I think that if you're a fan of the Black Widow character, fan of Scarlett Johansson and the work that she's done in these movies, it is very, very nice to see her finally get her due with this. You know, it's not going to be, I, I don't think, like one of the all-time greats, but it definitely got the job done. <laughs> the Boss Baby family business. <laughs> I hate the Boss Baby so much. <laughs> and I got to admit, it did surprise me that I liked this sequel a bit more than the original. But that still wasn't saying much. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't say I wholly recommend it. But I mean, it is available to stream online right now. So if you're very much inclined, by all means. Oh, by the way, too. Do you guys ever uh, go back and listen to Andy Serkis when he announces the original as an Academy Award nominee for Best Animated Feature Film? And he says it like with such a serious tone. He's like, the boss, baby. It's like it's like it's as if he knew like, oh, this is the big bad villain that's going to squash everyone's hopes and dreams of the Lego Batman movie being nominated. (laughs) The boss, baby. Anyway. Uh, then there was the Forever Purge, which, man, you know, I can fully understand how and why people would watch this movie and any of these movies in this series and get something out of it. My biggest gripe with this movie is actually something that's not a fault of the movie itself. It's more about the timing of its release. And it's the fact that this movie has now unfortunately come out after what occurred on January 6th this year. Let's just say a lot of the themes in The Purge hit closer to home than they ever have before. And the results are truly sickening to the point that I didn't even want to like watch it anymore. Like I felt I felt uncomfortable and sort of ugly with myself for having to sit through some of the stuff that this movie is doing. And, you know, I get it. There's clearly good guys and there's clear bad guys. And, of course, the good guys went out against the bad guys in the end, you know, so on and so forth. But there's also a lot of, I think, mixed messaging uh, that audiences could, you know, take away the wrong intent from these movies. And that, to me, was the true horror here outside of the movie itself. So... Not a good experience, but at the same time, I, as someone who has seen these, like all these movies, I got to admit, it is probably one of the better ones of the franchise, if not the best one. And I actually know, I, I think I, it's, I think I still prefer the original now that I'm thinking about it. Lena Headey and even Hawk. I mean, come on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the first one too, is the one that introduced the whole concept. And, you know, I think I have seen three of them but they all just sort of get muddled in my mind i'm i wouldn't really call myself a big fan of them i have like an occasional appreciation of them sometimes and this one from the trailers sort of looked somewhat intriguing but not enough to really entice me to see it oh i mean it's got (laughs) some really bad dialogue it's got some really horrendous acting in it like you're you're really watching it just to see the themes of the movie kind of play out 
because they have now gone very uh, political. And they're also commenting on, beyond that, the economical and social uh, status of America today as well. And I, I do like that commentary. That, like I said, I think that there is a wrong interpretation of these movies. And I am very, very worried about what portion of the country will fully believe in the stuff in this film that at the time of its release, you know, you know, many years ago with the, with the first one seemed like such a high concept. Now, more of a reality. <laughs> and finally, uh, I can now talk about this movie of uh, the Tomorrow War, which Funny enough, uh, we are recording a podcast for tomorrow, but by the time people are listening to this, it will have already been posted. Uh, so I won't reveal much on this, but I will say that I felt like this movie was so close, so, so close to being great. And there are these little tiny things that the movie could have done to get there. But I think that these t- tiny minor problems all kind of just start to build up and it, then it becomes this insurmountable thing that the film just can't ever quite get to that point where the quality is, you know, at, at the level of something like uh, some of the stuff that's being compared to like edge of tomorrow or even like the Terminator movies. I will tell you this though, best creature design in my opinion, since starship troopers, Ooh. as far as alien creatures go, these things are freaking amazing. And the action scenes involving them are incredible. So if you're going to see it for any reason, watch it just for the action set pieces because they were genuinely thrilling. Otherwise, it's a uh, nearly two and a half hour long film. (laughs) And I don't know why it's that long. Starring Chris Pratt. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. But also Sam Richardson. I mean, sorry, Dan, that's just that's just not enough. (laughs) No, I. I, look, I'm not planning on seeing it. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I don't know if I've actually, you know what? One more. Um, I don't know if I've had a chance to discuss this movie at all because I think when I saw it, there was still an embargo at the time. Uh, but Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move is now streaming on HBO Max. And oh, yeah. I think it's one of his better films that he's done uh, lately. I think it's like if you if you are a fan of his crime caper films either like a logan lucky or the oceans movies it feels like he's right at home with something like this like this is like his sweet spot where he operates at the highest level of entertainment and technic and his technical skill and this ensemble is killer this is such a good ensemble and they all get enough time to you know showcase their acting chops and everybody cohesively like works together uh in a way that the movie is very, very large. I mean, like, I was not expecting the movie to have this very, very deep and very intricate plot. It starts off very simple, and that's what the trailers and the marketing have uh, shown us so far. But it, it goes much, much deeper than that to the point where uh, it really surprised me. So highly recommend people check that one out as well. Um, and we will have a uh, more thorough review of that to come in a couple of days. Looking forward to that one. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. 
On top of our main show every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? Oh, That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> it works. All right, so we got some news this week from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I always love when they chime in with any bit of news during the off season. <laughs> Remember that time when they announced best popular film? Oh boy, those were some good times. Oh, oh God, what a time! Well, what a time. their announcements uh, this past week were not that chilling. So first things first, they have announced that physical screeners are no longer going to be sent to members during voting. Now uh, members are going to have to watch screeners via links. Which. That was something that they were going to do eventually anyway, right? Yeah, they've been they've been really uh, phasing out physical copies now for quite a while. And I suspect that if you're a part of any kind of uh, critics group, I imagine that that's also going to slowly but surely start to happen across any and all groups that do physical uh, screeners. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the question I have is, you know, after last year, a lot of members uh, expressed frustration with having having to work with digital screeners and not having physical copies. And so we, you know, we infer that there was lower voter turnout last year than maybe ever before with the Academy, or at least in recent history. Is it just one of those things where people are going to have to just get over it and just get with the program? Or do you guys think that they might backpedal on this if there's enough of a outrage and they might allow for physical screeners again? I don't know. Like, I kind of admire that they have really stuck to that and are forcing their people to move forward into the digital age. And I do like that it is sort of like, in a way, um, clamping down on the kind of, like, you know, swag and stuff that you get. Like, you know, it doesn't cost as much to upload something to a website as it does to, like, send out these things as gifts to people, you know, it doesn't have that same kind of negative connotation to it. So I appreciate that they're doing that at least, but I don't know that the membership is actually going to go for it. I think that, I think there will be a small vocal minority and I think that it will, you know, I, I, I think that it will just become the norm. Yeah, uh, I don't think that there's like any backpedaling on this. They have been, as I said, signaling that this was going to happen. This is just the future that I feel like everybody is sort of moving away towards physical screeners and going to digital now. And yeah, there might be some people who will complain. I think that's inevitable, but like it, it's just the future. And I think at the end of the day, they're seeing free movies. They'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. I think what it might do, actually, is encourage people to go to the in-person screenings more. Yeah. Which I think can only be a good thing. It can be. But keep in mind, there's still this Delta variant and, you know, a couple people are still not well, vaxxed. I mean, and Academy age range does skew older. So I'm talking in the future. But sure, yeah. sure. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next announcement. 
Best International Feature and Short Film Shortlist will now be expanded from 10 to 15 films before they are narrowed down to the five Oscar nominees when the announcements uh, come out. So, because predicting these wasn't hard enough already. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is comedian and writer. And let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey, as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I got to tell you, like... (laughs) The short, the short film's fine uh, because they're short. <laughs> so adding another five more isn't going to, like, you know, make or break me. Adding more to the best international feature film category. Listen, I don't mind other films, like, getting a spotlight. I like that part of it. But to Dan's point, yeah, it's going to make predicting the final five that much harder now. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's two different things, you know. That's yeah, it makes our job predicting harder. But I like that there's more films getting a spotlight in these yeah. categories, and I believe that international feature was already expanded to fifteen this previous season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so they just affirmed it going forward. Yep. Um, and I think that's a great thing. You know, the more movies that get discovered that get put onto that short list, there's a better opportunity that they might get picked. You know, I'm I'm all for oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah, like as as an outside as someone who like does who wouldn't be um trying to predict what gets nominated, love it. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> but at the same time, like having a little bit of extra stress right now. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean also for the short films in particular, like it's already hard enough with 10. 15 is going to be even more difficult, but what I also do like about at least with the short films is to me, maybe signals that those categories are here to stay because I'm always scared that they're going to get the boot. And I feel like expanding the number of entries on the shortlist means that they're going to at least be here for a little while longer. Yeah. Yeah. After that, this was really cool. We already have bake-offs for makeup and visual effects. And we are going to be reintroducing... The sound bake-off. Why? Because now that the sound categories have been merged into one, 
there are a lot of people who have expressed concern that the loudest uh, blockbuster action films or mu- or musicals might dominate uh, this category and give other films uh, an unfair, uh, just an, uh, like an unfair uh, chance, if you will. So this is going to be something that uh, I'm all in favor of. I love I love when there are bake-offs. I love hearing about the presentations. I love hearing about little details that go into the making of, you know, the cinematic language, as we call it. There will be 10 shortlisted films, uh, which will be chosen in advance by the entire branch. And they will screen reels for the sound voters, who will then select the five nominees from those 10 films. So that'll make predicting the sound category a little bit easier, too, that we have now 10 uh, potential uh, contenders there. I always think it's interesting with the, like, the branch will select the shortlist. Mm-hmm. It, it can go like so many different ways. You can get these little things that you would never have thought would have gotten in because people really loved and appreciated the work. And then other times it feels like, well, you got in because people saw your movie and because they know your name. I was going to say people voting for their friends. Yeah. But I do. I love the Bake Offs in general. I do wish that more uh, people made those reels that they show available for the general public to see, because I think that would be really cool. But I generally find that in, I find it more interesting when there is an afford, a more informed group of people voting for the nominees. Like it can lead to some fun things happening, like, you know, love and monsters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually sort of, of two minds about it. I do agree with all of that in terms of the presentation and the reels, like I do agree. I wish we could actually see them and those were released to the public. And I do like the idea of the branch coming together and seeing presentations to get informed opinions about it. I do always think that there is a little bit of a trade-off though, when we do get these shortlists and that it does mean that there are going to be some movies that won't be included. And I do sometimes worry if that list will favor a lot of branch favorites. And if, if it means that the list has now been cut down to only 10 movies, will the diversity of the field also get cut down too? And I also feel like we're slowly marching to the point where I think we're going to find way more categories that are going to have these short lists. I like, cause what I think it's like 10 categories now that do short lists or bake offs. And I feel like, I don't know how far into the future, but I think we're going to get to a point where way, way more categories are going to start doing this. I mean, look at the amazing results we got at the BAFTAs last year when they had those blue ribbon panels. Well, they had the panels, though. Um, Yeah. You know, the Oscars haven't done that yet. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different, but somewhat similar, at least in theory. I don't think it plays out the same, but I think there is something to be said for the process. Yeah, and BAFTA does it with every category. They have shortlists for every single one, like even for picture and the acting one. So, you know, I'm a little hesitant to embrace that fully, but I think that this is going to be very interesting. I'm still really intrigued about what their first shortlist is going to be and what we hear from those presentations. And then additionally, uh, the music branch has now limited best original song submissions to five songs per film. So this is something that, uh, you know, is going to prevent the more musical uh, favored films from being able to 
kind of overstuffed this category with um, with their uh, potential contenders. And then best original score has been changed so that a film score no longer needs to have uh, what was previously 60% of total music in a movie. Now it only needs to be 35%. And, you know, we've had conversations before about disqualifications underneath this rule before. So this is going to open up the possibility now for other movies to potentially contend for best original score, which I'm always in favor of. I am. I kind of don't see the point of the song limitation, yeah. honestly, because no. When was the last time any movie submitted that many songs? It is just no one does that anymore because they know that submitting that many songs lessens the likelihood that you're going to get nominated and win. So people long time ago realized that the key to winning was to just put all your weight behind one song from your movie and have done accordingly. So I kind of don't know why they suddenly chose now to institute that rule, but like, okay. I think they saw how many (laughs) movie musicals are being released this year and they were like, oh, we got to do something about that. Most of which are based on pre-existing musicals with pre-existing songs. So, and even the ones that aren't, they aren't going to submit five. Songs. Yeah. <laughs> like they would yeah, never do that. That's the thing. Yeah. As, as for, as far as score goes, uh, I'm so of two minds about this because I think that if they are going to lower the, that percentage threshold, then they need to more, they need to do, they need to be more strict with who votes in that category because I remember the original thing being like you could be thinking of the music in this movie and not realize that that track that you loved is actually a pre-existing track that was not composed for this movie. So I think if they're going to say that the amount of the percentage of original music to full music in your movie needs to be lower than it had to be, then they need to like, you have to, um, I don't know. You have to listen to all the soundtracks and all the scores in order to vote or something. I was going to say, like, I wonder whose job it is to watch a movie and do these percentage percentages, you know, and figure yeah. out if a film is eligible or not. Also, I, I can't remember if this was in the old rules or not, but I think that initially there was a distinction between like an original movie and a sequel. And I remembered that there were like different percentages for each of those. And I think the 35% might have been what the sequel needed. I, I can't remember it fully, but I think maybe that's what the threshold has been lowered to, which in my cynical mind, I immediately went to, well, all these composers are now working on big budget sequels. And so they just wanted their work to qualify in general at this point. Um, it does seem weird to lower it down to that much, but Hey, if we get more interesting selections here, then you know, the more the merrier, in my opinion. Yep. 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 Outside of the Academy here, the Golden Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Oh, they're still they're still doing a thing. <laughs> they're, they're still doing many things, apparently. <laughs> Instead, they are chiming in to let us know that they have uh, they are now allowing for non-English language and animated films once again, because they previously did allow for animated films to do this to now compete in the best motion picture categories at future Golden Globe shows, a.k.a. they think that they're going to have future shows. (laughs) Um, Or 
maybe they are going to just make some sort of an announcement this year um, and just have a press release. I don't know. But this is this was no doubt because of uh, the Minari uh, fiasco last year, right? Has to be. Yeah. It's, no, yeah. Ob- it's obviously a reaction to that. And look, yeah. it should have happened a while ago, but glad to see it happen now, even though I don't know what capacity we will see that happen and what future <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, it, it should have, it should have happened and I'm glad that it has. So my big question is underneath this uh, new rule here, does Roma beat Bohemian Rhapsody at the Golden Globes? No. Yeah, I actually don't think so. I know a lot of people want to say yes, but you have to remember they did really, really love that yeah. movie. Yeah. Queen baby. Yeah, I still think it would have won. There are a couple others that will definitely come to mind uh, the longer I take a look at this and try to piece things together. It's like I look at Parasite and I wonder, could that have happened? Parasite could have done it, actually. Yeah. That, I, think. I do think that probably would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely some interesting ones in there to uh, think about. And that'll do it this week for uh, news from the major awards uh, oh, groups Matt, out. Matt, what? You don't want to mention the the Critics' Choice. <laughs> <laughs> it is your Critics' group. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For you, Josh, I will. <laughs> so we'll all say that right on cue then Josh. i just i just i just don't want it to be listen okay i mean i said it sort of jokingly if you don't want to talk about this fine i i just said i mean i will bring it up because i don't know how many of our listeners know about this but if it's it, listen if all you're gonna do is laugh at me all right i will not i will not I'm stand not for it you we never at you, Matt. Okay. I will, right. There well, are pros and cons. The Critics' Choice Association announced this week uh, that they are creating yet another award show on top of the many other award shows that they have. <sighs> this one's called the World Movie Awards, and this is going to be a show that will honor the finest in non-English language films, which means now that that category is not going to be presented on the main CCA show like documentary feature, like animated feature was last year. And so it'll now be uh, an award that will have its own night wholly dedicated towards it. Yeah, I got to I got to tell you guys. I'm of two minds on this as well. (laughs) (laughs) On one hand, I like that this is a spotlight opportunity for many different types of non-English language films. Uh, you know, you'll usually have a couple nominated at the Critics' Choice Awards for their regular best uh, film in a non-English language. But this is going to be an opportunity to recognize them in a multiple categories. And so I think that we'll see a lot of very interesting nominees as a result. And that's something that I'm very, very excited about. The thing that I am not excited about, other than having, once again, another show, is I'm not excited about... In their attempts to say that this is important, so it needs its own show, in some odd, weird way, it almost does feel like the award is devalued a bit. Yeah. And that is something that, from a perception standpoint, uh, kind of bothers me. It is a problem, I think, that any critics group with the um, level of visibility that CCA has should grapple with. Because 
should they be considering international features for their regular awards? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is that now that they have this, it almost gives them an excuse to not nominate them at the main show. Yeah, and it does kind of like it works at cross purposes with its stated purpose. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know that I have my issues with Critics' Choice. I've made that known <laughs> fairly frequently <laughs> throughout my time of commenting on the Oscar race. And I do appreciate, on the one hand, yes, this attempt to put a spotlight on performances and films that are not in English. And I do like that. I wish there was more of an effort to get that integrated into the main show. And I agree with the sentiment that putting it to the side does sort of give the voting members that out to not include that on the main show, which let's be real is a far bigger spotlight than whatever this offshoot is going to be. I am a little bit sad about that, but then I guess it's just going to be on the rest of us to make sure that when these nominations do come out and these films and performances do get um, singled out that we elevate it as if it was on the main show. So I, I don't like that it's separate, but that just means now that we just have to work harder to make sure that they are given their proper due when these nominations come out. Let's take a negative and turn it into a positive, basically. That's what you do with Critics' Choice. Okay, Josh. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, I hope, I genuinely hope that Critics' Choice uses their um, whatever power they have to get people who normally would not watch subtitled movies to watch this show and then watch the movies. Do I think they can? I'm skeptical, not necessarily because of them, but more because like people's viewing habits are pretty ingrained, deeply ingrained at this point. And it feels like it will be a very self-selecting audience (laughs) for this show. And that will be the people who have already seen these movies. But if they can even get, like, you know, dozen, couple dozen of pe- people to see movies that they wouldn't have seen before just because of this, then maybe it's worth it. Well, that now will truly do it for this week's news uh, from the different awards bodies. Now let's move over to the trailers. First up, we have the trailer for Don't Breathe 2, the sequel to the f- surprise 2016 hit film Don't Breathe, uh, which was originally directed by Fetty Alvarez. Uh, he is no longer in the director's chair for this one, and original uh, star Jane Levy is also not a part of this. Instead, this movie is focusing entirely on Stephen Lang, and boy, oh boy, do I have some thoughts about this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Failed. The gun is in my hand. Sorry. I'll make it next time. You almost got me, didn't you, boy? We had a lot of fun today. I could take her again next week. No. Home safe. <laughs> Shadow. Thank <laughs> you. 
coming with us, kid. Get the girl! It's not me you need to be scared of, little girl. But the man standing next to you. Now, I don't know who he is, but I know who he's not. Should I tell her or you? He's gonna come for me. Now you're gonna see what I see. Get ready to root for the bad guy. Well, is he a bad guy? Because, you know, did you guys see that comment about him being, he's not an anti-hero, he's an anti-villain. And it was like, wait, what? What what does that mean? (laughs) Okay, so for those that don't know, in the original film, Don't Breathe, the Stephen Lang character, the blind man, uh, whatever whatever you want to call him, uh, I think he actually has a name, uh, Norman or something like that. Uh, he's not a good dude. He does some pretty, pretty messed up things. There's a lot in that film that either this movie is completely disregarding, or they're doing a bait and switch, or there's something more clever going on with the film's marketing here. I don't know. All I do know is that they did talk a lot about how the potential idea for this sequel got them so super excited. It's what made them all come back for this. Well, not everyone, obviously. Which I'm also skeptical about in that regard, too, because, like I said, there's a director change. Uh, Jane Levy's not involved here. There seems to be have been some sort of falling out with her uh, and Fetty Alvarez um, based on some messages she put out on social media this week. And so I don't know. I want to give this the benefit of the doubt, but I really, really hope that they are not either A, disregarding what this character has done to women especially yeah oh man jesus it's just the more the more i think about it the more it's like it's very troubling and it's like i can't like i can't allow myself to even imagine that that is where we're going but if they are going to try and retcon or they're going to try and you know spin this story then it's like okay do i buy that as an audience member is it going to be believable because then it's just going to be doomed from the start to be bad i mean i have to imagine that there is some kind of bait and switch happening i'm sort of getting that sense because like you said matt this isn't just like a bad guy in the first movie he does some very heinous things and what's fascinating to me is that that was actually the point of the movie where i kind of turned from it a little bit because i actually think the initial premise of the first film of these people breaking into this dude's home and then they're on the receiving end of him basically just trying to defend his property was actually sort of interesting that I thought then the movie kind of copped out at the end to just make him an actual bad guy. And I don't know what you can really do by extending that premise to this one. Um, I want to be a little optimistic just because I did like that first movie so much. Uh, I mean, the sound design in that movie particularly. Oh, my God. Should have honestly should have won the Oscar. Technically, that movie was so incredibly well done. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I, too, enjoyed it as well when it came out initially. But it, it's very, very clear from what I'm seeing from all this that they're going the Terminator 2 route here where they're taking the original's villain and they're making him the central hero or anti-hero oh sorry anti-villain whatever the fuck you know of this movie i i i hope that there's something here that 
we're not seeing. But at the same time, even if that is true, we still got to address the stuff from the first film with this character, right? Otherwise, this is like one of the most irresponsible cash grabs that I've ever seen in my life then. We will see what happens. I mean, like, (laughs) clearly the trailer is pointing to some kind of twist Mm -hmm. in the setup of the plot. But, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, like I said, I really liked the first movie. It was really, really well done. I don't know if I necessarily needed a sequel to begin with. And, yes, centering it around this character, I'm very skeptical about that but you know it's a trailer and you want to hope that the movie itself will be more than just what we see in this little clip and i want to be optimistic i am skeptical but optimistic well at least Stephen lang is getting more work sure yeah <laughs> we can be happy about we, that yes yeah all right our second trailer here first of all i gotta ask has anyone here not seen the sopranos uh, me, I have not seen all of it. Oh well, this will be this will be very interesting. Uh, the next trailer is the Many Saints of Newark. Uh, this is directed by Alan Taylor, written by David Chase and Lawrence Connor. David Chase, uh, famously the creator of the hit HBO show The Sopranos. This movie is a prequel to that show, where Michael Gandolfini. Yep, you're not mishearing me, people. Michael Gandolfini, the son of James Gandolfini, is playing Tony Soprano. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. When I was a kid, guys like me were brought up to follow codes. Hey, jerk off. What'd you say? What? Antonio Soprano. I wonder if I can talk to you alone for a moment, Mrs. Soprano. On the basis of the Sanford Binet, he's high IQ. You can't prove it by me. He's got a D plus average. Well, he doesn't apply himself, but he is smart. The results tell us he's a leader. Ankle dick. Growing up with the family takes a toll. Maybe an ambassador of England or France. You're my nephew. My life I want to do whatever I can to help you. you may be a my gift to you. I want to go to college. I can't get called with shit like this. Look, you take the speakers, right? At the same time, you say to yourself, this is the last time I'm ever going to steal something. It's that simple. Let me go talk to him. He only listens to Dickie. Gotta do something about Dickie Malasani. Maybe some of the things you do aren't God's favorite. (laughs) You lead by example. We'll make the right decision. This kid's got what it takes. As far as your nephew goes, I'm listening. Stay out of his life. Uh, uh, 
I, okay, so like I, I grew up on these kinds of movies, these tough guy crime films, right? So I'm always intrigued whenever I see that there is a crime film of any kind that's coming out. But I do I do wonder, because it has been a long time since The Sopranos uh, ended, how big the audience is for this film that will come out and actually see it in 2021. And I'm also wondering how much knowledge of the show does one need in order to truly appreciate this? Because my hope is that it can be its own lone standing crime story that does not require you to have to invest in the many, many, many episodes of The Sopranos prior beforehand. I, I always feel that whenever there are these television to movie like spinoffs or sequels or whatever, continuations, if you will, uh, that actually does a disservice in many, many ways uh, to a potential audience that's out there for your film. So that's the thing I'm most concerned about here. Otherwise, man, I'm, I'm living for the ride, the continued rise of Al- Alessandro uh, Nivola. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who mm-hmm. has no familiarity with The Sopranos, and it's not like I'm actively avoiding it, it's just, you know, a lot of episodes of that show, and I haven't seen yeah. it. It's a big commitment if I want to get into it. That's the only thing. Um, th- he was definitely the element of this trailer that stood out to me the most. Uh, I have no idea what that has to do with the larger Sopranos story, but I, I he looks really good, and... I think overall, just this trailer just sort of sells sort of general crime movie. And I don't know if that is necessarily enticing to me, especially because I don't have the backstory uh, or I don't have the baggage of knowing The Sopranos as just this other entity. I'm just judging it as its own movie right now. And it doesn't look all that great to me, but I am like somewhat intrigued by it. It's one of those things where, like, does this really have to exist? No, I, I, I really don't think it does. And I I just, like, wish that we could leave IP alone for one year or at least a couple months and see what happens, see what sort of news stories that people are able to tell. But then again, I'm like, <laughs> this movie knows exactly how to get me invested because, I mean, you cast Vera Farmiga as the mother of some iconic anti-hero, and I'm in. Yeah, and anyone who saw, <laughs> um, you know, Livia Soprano in the original show, uh, played by uh, uh, the late Nancy uh, Marchand, you know, knows that there's a lot going on there with that character and her relationship with her son, Tony. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so then also on top of that, we have Billy uh, Magnuson, uh, who's an actor that I am always very, very excited to see, especially uh, lately at this stage in his career. John Bernthal is always a welcome uh, pre- uh, presence, as well as Corey Stoll, Ray Liotta, Leslie Odom Jr. shows up here. Uh, and then somewhere along the cast list, you got to dig deep and you will find this. You will see that. Nick Vallelonga is a member of the cast of this movie. No. (laughs) Academy Award winner. Yep. I'm sorry, who's that? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, the cast is great. I recognize this name. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, the cast is really impressive, and 
I think for me, I think not having the familiarity of the show is what's probably holding me back. And I'm sure if we had more people who were big fans of The Sopranos and had seen, you know, and saw every episode and really, really loved it, they'd be maybe maybe they would be more excited for this. But I am just somewhat at arm's length with this particular film. I am super intrigued by Michael Gandolfini here playing a a role that his father literally made iconic. And it's something that I remember with um, O'Shea Jackson, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, his father, uh, Ice Cube in uh, Straight Outta Compton. And now we have a similar thing happening here where the son is playing uh, the the, the father, but in the past. And so you get this lookalike resemblance and I don't know. There's just something about that that I think is really interesting, and it does pull me in. And there's yeah. something about that that, honestly, I find kind of necrophilic. Mm. Yeah, it can go either way. I, I do admit it all kind of just depends on because you never really know if that person's like, like a good actor is the problem. Well, that's the thing too. Even from this trailer, I am kind of getting the sense that he's not going to be the talking point necessarily of this film. And that's why the supporting cast around him is so much more intriguing and flashy. And I think they're going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting around him. I feel like, well, his name is like fifth build in this trailer too, which I found very surprising. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was either that or they do the whole and introducing at the very, very end. But I think that that's a contractual money arrangement. I I just, it seems like the setup for the movie is that Tony is going to be your main character. <laughs> it just seems weird that the person playing the main character is not listed at least within the first couple names. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> and everything too, this is being directed by Alan Taylor, whose television work, some work on the Sopranos even has impressed me over the years, but he has failed to impress me yet with any of his feature films. So I'm still waiting in that department with him. Well, maybe this will be a good combination of like film and television. Hopefully. Hopefully. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment, and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. So the Cannes Film Festival is back in person this week, Woo-hoo. July 6th until July 17th. According to some of the people I've spoken to, it has been a shit show in terms of communication organization. But that seems to be uh, the that seems to be what's on the menu this year as far as in-person festivals. So isn't that just also can? (laughs) Yeah, from what I understand, can is definitely the most complex and nightmarish uh, festival as far as an experience goes. And pretty much everyone just sucks it up because you're you're at can. You know, it's like you, you'll you'll take the bad with the good because at the end of the day, you're at Cannes. <laughs> so with the festival set to uh, 
occur this week. We're going to get a lot of reactions to many, many films. What are you guys most looking forward to that is playing at this year's festival? I Memoria. Mm. That's yes. I don't know that it's my number one most anticipated, but it's the one that I always, whenever I hear can con 2021 i'm like what has amoria screened yet (laughs) like that's one that i'm most curious to see reactions to and just see like what it is and we're also cool i know annette is definitely going to have a lot of eyeballs on it it's the opening night film and obviously having uh adam driver and maron cotillard tied to that i think helps tremendously so naturally i'm excited about that but, the, but there are other ones uh, in here. Like, I really cannot wait to hear more about the uh, Koganada uh, film mm, after yeah. Yang. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interested in that. Also, the new Farhadi movie. Very yes. curious about that one. Oh, I think that's going to be big, too. A hero? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, Red Rocket. I, I yep. so <laughs> I can't wait to see that one. Yes. I'm just so happy that, <laughs> that that is finally getting seen. Yeah. Sean Baker has been, he has yet to make a bad movie. So he's been on a roll. Yeah. Uh, the new film from Julia, uh, Ducourneau, uh, Titan, yes. Titan. I don't know how to pronounce it. Just yet. I don't know how to, yeah, but like that trailer. Oof, man. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Give it to me now, please. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about, but I want to see it right now, (laughs) which is what a trailer should do. Yes. Uh, I am also, of course, looking forward to seeing uh, what Justin Kurzel has given us with Nitram. Yeah, he is. He's had an interesting career so far. I really liked his take on Macbeth. Oh, yeah. He did one or I know he did one thing since then. Oh, no, no, no. So he, okay, so he did Macbeth, which is what got him a ton of praise and a lot of notices. Yeah. <laughs> I remember what he did after Macbeth. And then he did Assassin's Creed after that. Oh, right. I'm like, I remember yeah. that he did something that was not good. <laughs> yeah. And then he did the true history of the Kelly gang uh, after that. Which had its moments. Yep. Yeah, wasn't great, but I did yeah. enjoy that one. But yeah. this seems like it's going to be a bit more of a scaled back, smaller film. And I think for me, the thing that I'm most interested in about it is the lead is played by Caleb Landry Jones, who has been impressing the hell out of me in recent years. Yeah, he does good work most of the time. And it's I'm that's definitely on my radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I'm really interested in this movie Blue Bayou, which is like another Korean immigrant story that's yes. going to be coming out. It looks really interesting. I'm very curious about that one. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to this movie, but, you know, the stories about Sean Penn, the last time he was at Cannes, are so oh, God. infamous. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm very curious to see what his return is going to be like. To say the least. You know, I'm intrigued because there was a time where I really thought that Sean Penn was one of the great actors like of our generation. Same, yeah. And I still do think that in a lot of ways. It depends on the role. It depends on the director. Like when he wants to put in the effort, he'll show up. But I agree, Josh. His last film that he directed was a complete shit show. And I feel like he's been writing like that good, that good sentiment from uh, Into the Wild now for whew, 
15 years, however long it's been at this point, <laughs> that at a certain point, you got you got you got to make something that is at least uh, somewhat close to the level of quality that that had to offer. Otherwise, I mean, if he just phones it in again with this and this thing is a disaster, um, it's going to be. Listen, personal issues with the man aside, <laughs> if I'm just looking at his career and his work for a moment, it feels like his best work is behind him. I would like to be proven wrong on that, though. And look, I mean, he's directing his daughter. And he's starring in it. Yeah. Along with uh, Josh Brolin, Norbert Leo Butz, <laughs> Eddie Marzen, Miles Teller, I think, shows up in this, too. It is a huge cast. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not really anticipating it to be good, but anybody who makes a bomb that hard their last go around, like, you got to be interested yeah. in what they're that they decided to um, like man up and show their face again at this festival. Like <laughs> you, you must be very confident in what you've got then. Yeah. Uh, last thing I will say to um, a filmmaker that I am absolutely fascinated by is uh, Jacques Audidard. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Audidard. yeah. Yeah. And he's got a film called Paris 13th District coming out uh, of the festival with a screenplay that's co-written uh, by Celine Siyama. And from what I can tell, I could be wrong about this. This looks like it's shot in black and white. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> There's also, I'm really interested um, in, I mean, I'm never not, but I'm always interested in the new Ozone film, especially since this one has Charlotte Rampling. And yeah. Hannah Skygula and Sophie Marceau. <laughs> that is a crazy good cast. I'm actually genuinely surprised that we've gone all this time and no one has mentioned the French Dispatch yet. Well, I was saving like an obviously I'm interested in French Dispatch and Benedetta. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the, but like those kind of go without saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're so obvious that it's like you can just assume that, yes, we are interested in seeing them. But so is literally everybody else. Yeah. But the other another one that like caught my eye recently when I looked uh, deeper at the lineup is a Hungarian film called The Story of My Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same director from On Body and Soul uh, a couple years back, which was really mm-hmm. good. And it stars Louis Garel and Lea Seydoux. Definitely going to keep an eye out for that one. Which like, I mean, put those two in a movie and I will be there on opening day. And yeah. on set, if I'm able. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like those actors. I did not really like uh, that previous movie, though. So I don't know if that really <laughs> interests me all lot. But the two of them, I'm, I'm here for that. Uh, director Cornell uh, Mandrusco is coming off a hot year with Pieces of a Woman. And he will have a new film titled Evolution playing at the festival that he is directing. Plot synopsis episodes... Uh, uh, trace three generations of a family from a surreal memory of World War II to modern-day Berlin, unable to process their past in a society still coping with the wounds of its history. Hmm. And then uh, the last one I, I'll also mention really quick is Andrea Arnold. Gotta mention Andrea Arnold. Cow. <laughs> you know, I saw that title. Everybody was starting making jokes. You know, comparing it to First Cow. But then I read the plot synopsis. And all it says is, a close-up portrait of the daily lives of two cows. 
I look, can we get a double feature with this and pig, please? <laughs> but here's the thing though about pig. Pig is not at all about the pig. It, it, it that is a movie that goes in directions that will surprise the hell out of you. So I'm wondering if there is more to this than meets the eye as well. I'm I'm here for it. I mean, I love Fish Tank, loved American Honey, mm-hmm. loved her work on Big Little Lies. And you got to imagine that there's quite a bit of industry sentiment after some of the stories that came out about um, the work that was done with her on Big Little Lies. So she could be at a good point in her career right now to receive some really, really great notices for this. We will see what it is. Yep. I mean, shit, if it's just cows, then, like, pair of us up with Gunda and you got yourself a, a party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is one thing that I have to mention, and it will be interesting to uh, uh, maybe two people who listen to this podcast. But it interested me because I covered the Berlinale for the first time this year. And the Silver Bear uh, winner, the basically the second like the first runner up, the second prize um, was this movie called wheel of fortune and fantasy, which is directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. And he has a separate film in Cannes this year. And I'm like that, that would be really cool if he won a prize at Berlin and then a prize at Cannes in the same year for different movies. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty cool. Would be really, really cool. I mean, the the movie is called Drive My Car, and it is a drama about an actor grieving the loss of his playwright wife. That's as much as a plot synopsis as we've gotten. And I really liked Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Um, it was interesting because it was a triptych movie. There were three like short films stitched together, and it it was really good really like low-key character driven drama and i'd be interested to see what he does next all right well can is starting up this week we'll be running until the 17th as mentioned before we hope everyone that's making travels over there uh is safe and they have a really really good time and we'll be watching over here from the sidelines very very excited to see what the word is out of the festival this year All right, and now let's end episode 250 with questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us this week. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is The Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before and we want to figure out what check out piecing it together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com you can also follow us on social media at piecingpod piecing it together is a part of the all points west podcast network Ooh, 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 ooh. okay oh no okay here we go carson timar why do you think so many are turning against the award season this year it has been multiple months since the last season ended, and still there are plenty of people who are feeling tired and over it. <laughs> Speaking for myself, okay, because I have definitely been known to say something along those lines in recent weeks, it is not 
that I'm tired of the awards season in general. I'm tired of the discussion of any new movie beginning and ending with its awards prospects. Which I understand that that's a personal take because, you know, for example, yeah. myself, that is a natural inclination. And I do tend to do this that sort of thing because, you know, that's the kind of website that I'm running here, right? Right. But I also understand, though, that movies do have a life outside of awards. Yes. And, and can in many ways. So I agree and I disagree at the same time, Dan, but, but I'm not going to get hung up on it because, you know, that's just that's your opinion and that's your feeling on the matter. And it's like I, I totally get it, you know? Yeah. And it and to be clear, like I'm not talking about how I have not seen you talk that way about movies in general. Oh, I internally I, I, I internalize those thoughts. <laughs> believe me. No, because I because I, I do agree with you. I don't want people like, yeah. you know. I think this whole thing lately on social media where people are complaining, my Twitter handle is at next best picture. Mm-hmm. We're an awards website, people. Right. You're going to tell me, give the awards talk a rest. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. And it's not, it is not about for, for me at least. And this is again, like just my personal reaction. I can't speak for anyone else. The hundreds of people on the internet telling you that, but it's the people who talk about it as if um, if something is good, then therefore it must automatically be in contention for the Oscars, which is demonstrably false. And the people who saying, well, if it's you know if it's not going to be in the running for Oscars, then who cares? Which, like, look, I love In the Heights a lot, and I think Olga Meredith is great in it. That can be true at the same time that I think her part is too small to get an Oscar nomination and has nothing to do with her qual- with the quality of her performance or how much I enjoyed it. No, I completely agree with you on that. And I think that kind of nuanced conversation is one that we can have here, but it's not conducive for something like Twitter. Exactly. And I think that's what people are seeing these these things posted and they're kind of drawing conclusions that or in, they're drawing inferences that may or may not be present. Context is important, and context is something that I think gets increasingly lost when you only have 140 characters. Plus, the last season was just so long, we've just all it lost was. our minds. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Like, I got really exhausted and tired of talking about the same movies over and over and over again, to the point that, I mean, and you guys know this better than anybody, like, I would have ideas about a potential way that the race could go at like two in the morning and I would hit you guys up. And it's like we got to a point where I don't think anything genuinely surprised us on Oscar night because I think we do a good job of pre thinking or at least imagining, oh, this could happen. Do I believe it's going to happen? No, but I could see a world where it would. And this is how and why. And I, I, I love that kind of discussion because one thing I don't like is I don't like surprises <laughs> in the sense of surprises that make me like angry or make me feel like how like how could I not see this coming? Like I'll say the most surprised I think any of us were was probably Mank winning cinematography. I was really hoping you were actually no, it. it was for me it was her winning original song, if you ask me. Oh yeah. well yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a good surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was. <laughs> well, that was also one of those things where, like, after the performance on that night, I started thinking, like, oh, 
maybe this maybe this does have a chance. The season was long. I get it. I understand that people did not want to then talk about the Oscars for a little while after that. You know what I say to that? You are free to not talk about the Oscars yes. for a little bit of time after yeah. that. Why are you then going to go out of your way to subtweet or comment to people who do want to talk about it and try I, I, like that's the thing I don't understand. It's like you're trying to get us to stop. And it's like, do you really think that's going to work that because you're annoyed because you're tired that other people are going to stop for you? It's so stupid. Yeah. It's like and really all those people can take a break. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't have to engage. They don't have to go on Twitter. Like, just ignore it. Let it wash away. It's why the mute button was invented. Yep. And no real, like, actual serious predictor uh, looks at what they're saying in, like, June and thinks that this is going to be solid throughout the rest of the year. Like, nice. we all realize that this is very fluid. We're just having a conversation. We're not tied to anything that we're thinking about right now, nor does that dictate our feelings about the movies that we watch mm -hmm. in general. Like there's plenty of things that we see and think we're going to be skeptical on their Oscar chances and we'll be vocal about that, but it doesn't change our feelings about the movie itself. Like those are two different conversations that I think a lot of people have conflated. And that is the problem. It's their problem. Yeah. To be clear, it's not our problem, <laughs> but it is one thing that makes a conversation difficult sometimes because people don't want to separate them out. All right. I like this question here from Toby Hill. If you were allowed to have only three streaming services, which three would you pick? Ooh. Netflix. No. Well, uh, maybe. <laughs> well, see, I feel like I'll get in trouble for this if I answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually go back and forth on this now that I'm thinking about it. Because I need Hulu because that has all TV. Right. Mm -hmm. And the next, I would actually, instead of Netflix, I'm tempted to say Amazon because that is not just a streaming service slash it also has like, it has a lot, like with a prime membership, you get a lot more than the movies, but also it has a lot of movies. And then <laughs> the next one that I want to say is um hbo max honestly because they have classics curated by tcm oh yeah i was definitely gonna say <laughs> like, apologies to christopher nolan but yeah it's, it's actually the best streaming service sorry it is <laughs> like i i love hbo max i would definitely need that one I don't know about Netflix. I feel obligated to do so just because they have so many yeah. movies in the award season. But when I really think about it, I tend to actually not watch a ton of movies on Netflix unless they are part of the conversation in awards. Okay. And they always tend to be. So I sort of feel obligated to keep it just for that. And then the other one is actually one that doesn't have any original programming on it. But I love it dearly. And that is Tubi. Okay. Tubi yeah. is so great because it's free and the selection on that is Insane. so so wide yeah. like they have big movies that everybody has heard of and they have like these like very small obscure movies in every genre you could possibly imagine like it is like sometimes if i don't know what i want to watch i will just go to tubi and then just dive right into that because there's 
literally like so many things to watch on Tubi. I love this because I had no idea what Tubi was prior to this conversation. And now I'm going to download it tonight. Oh, you should, Matt. Like, I'm telling you, like, there is so many different things on there. And there are big movies that you've heard of. And then some obscure things that sound completely foreign to you. But they're... And like I said, in every genre you can possibly imagine, there is so much stuff on Tubi. How the hell is it free? It, they, well, it's, it's ads. Yeah. yeah. You, there is no way to watch something on there without ads. Yeah. Okay. Got it. But the I, ads I, are I actually. I that um, a couple of years ago because it was the only place where you could see the original Suspiria. Mm, yeah. Okay. And I would actually say the ads are not that intrusive, too. They no. do actually a pretty good job of sort of spacing them out. Yeah, as opposed to like, you know, when you watch things on YouTube and they're just like the ads come at the most random points. Yeah. All right. I'll say mine in no particular order and with no explanations given. This way I'm just free of any and all liability here. Uh, (laughs) Netflix, Amazon, HBO Max. That's it. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that necessarily. It's hard to argue with anything, honestly. I will not say more. (laughs) Uh, Jacob K. asks, which film do you think could end up being the quote-unquote failure of the Oscar season? The film that we think is going to be a big deal, premieres at a festival to tepid or mixed response, and then just fades away. Honestly? Well, okay, so... Part of this is that you have to think about who is saying, because part of me wants to just say, <laughs> y'all who are thinking Annette is going to be a major Oscar player are crazy. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I 100% agree. I mean, of course, we still have to see it, but at right. the same time, calm down, people. <laughs> Leos Carax has not suddenly become a different filmmaker. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, but here's the thing, though. Here, I, I will just say this about that really quick. Yorgos Lanthimos surprised the hell out of us with The Favorite. A movie that he did not write. True. Okay, fair enough. Fair point. And had been in the Oscar conversation previously with another movie. Like, yeah, didn't get a ton of nominations, but was already, it already popped up on the radar as somebody to watch. Mm-hmm. Huh, what do I think could be this potential movie, though? Hmm. I mean, you could argue that we've already seen it. Oh, God, In the Heights. Yeah. Oh, that that oh, dude. Mm-hmm. What a bummer. Wow. You just bummed me out. Well, I'm bummed out thinking about that movie now too. thank you, Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> can't even talk about it on Twitter without having like hundreds of people descend into your comments. It's it's crazy. Makes me so sad. <sighs> Ooh, Scott Kernan asks. With the announcement of the Directors Guild requiring films to be exclusively in theaters for one week, how do you believe this will affect Warner Brothers' distribution plan for the rest of the year? Oh, man. They'll change it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I, I, I agree. I think that they are going to, especially with stuff like Matrix 4, Dune, I, I think that they are going to have to backpedal on this. Yep. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do it for every movie coming up. I think they will make some sacrifices and be like this, like some movie probably will not be on the DGA radar. I I think they can make that distinction. But uh, yeah, for some of their bigger profile contenders, yeah, they're they're going to change it because they want to qualify for DGA. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. 
I don't know if I can see a world where they screw over Denny Villeneuve that hard if Dune's got the goods. I mean, they're already sort of on thin ice with him already. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you, like you would think that they're they want to keep him happy at this point. I, I would assume so. Like Warner Brothers, they just have they officially lost Nolan. I, I don't know if that that has happened yet, but it, they're very chilly at this point. And yeah, they're kind of there's a lot of tension now between them and Villeneuve, and I'm sure they want to make him as happy as possible. And that will mean making sure that Dune qualifies for the DGA awards. James Scott asks: Before seeing Zola. Should people read the Twitter thread or go into the film completely blind? Ooh. I, I would say go in blind. I, I will tell you, I went in blind. I did not read the Twitter thread before seeing the movie, and I had a great time with it. Mm. it. It will, it depends on what you're going to the movie for. Like, if you want to go along the roller coaster of the plot, then absolutely go in blind. If you want to sort of like see how a movie could adapt a Twitter thread, then read the tweets first. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially the same question of do I read the book first before seeing the movie? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It all depends on you and what your what your interest in the movie is. Frederick Nutty. What is the biggest movie surprise for you so far this year? Could be good or bad. Ooh. OK, I have two. Uh, answers for this and they're both good one is army of the dead because i did not expect to actually be one of the few positive voices on a Zack starter film that was a <laughs> very weird phenomenon for me uh and the other one was woman in the window i genuinely liked that movie i thought it was very entertaining i mean uh, i'll i'll say mine very quick because it was already mentioned earlier writers of justice easily had no expectations heading into that whatsoever. Did didn't think much of it. I I don't even I didn't even see a trailer prior to watching it. I just went in completely blind and didn't even know what it was really about. Like so, my expectations were practically non-existent, and that's one of my favorite films of the year so far. I think the one that surprised me most, other than Writers of Justice, um, was profile oh yeah yeah i do remember you talking to me about that i was not expecting that one to be good at all and i was riveted all the way through on a on a negative note um i i still am not over the last five minutes of stowaway Mm. like that would literally change my entire opinion of a movie Yeah, that one was a little hard to stomach. I agree. Yeah. From like, this is good. This is good to fuck this movie. <laughs> That's how I felt about uh, False Positive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember you said that. Yeah. I, I can understand the end of that movie is. I, I admit, I understand why some people like it. I get it. Yeah. But it just it, wasn't for me. It's very weird and very tough. All right. So when people are listening to this, it'll be 4th of July. But. The sale is ongoing now for a couple of days. Ryan McQuaid's asking, in honor of the Barnes & Noble 50% off Criterion Collection sale, (laughs) what is the one film that you want to see released with Criterion Collection? And also, what is the over-under $100 each member of the show spends on movies during the sale? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
well. <laughs> I will tell you this right now. I ordered today, and I I actually was very, very proud of myself um, <laughs> because I spent less than $200. Because there are none that you don't own. Really? <laughs> like, you've, been, you've been going as overboard in recent years as I did, like, way back in like i don't know 2008 2010 there were times where i would like you know have a cart and i'm like okay all right 200 that's my that's my limit that's all i'm gonna do and then like two weeks later i'd get another paycheck and i'd be like oh, let's go yep. let's go again <laughs> you know? yep. I, oh i've done that it's always been like i go once the first week and then once the last week and mm-hmm. maybe one or two times in between <laughs> oh yeah, i've already spent over 100 dollars. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a sickness yes. i I it definitely is. has had had my eye on that Wong Kar Wai box set ever since it was announced, and this was the opportunity. Oh, so you did you did do it? I did do it. Yes. I, I have mixed feelings on that box set. There were aspects of it that I really really love, and then there are things where I'm I'm watching it in the mood for love, and I'm like, why the hell is this color graded this way? Why? I just don't understand it. But didn't he supervise that? Cut the, yeah, yeah, he yeah he George yeah. Lucas himself. Yeah, that, <laughs> this is literally what I said to Matt when he told him, wow. like, "What have Lord George Lucas wrought?" <laughs> wow, I never thought I would ever hear a comparison between Wonkar Y and George Lucas, but here we are. <laughs> here we are, indeed. Uh, as far as a film that I want to see release with Criterion, um, I've been asking for this for years now, and it's funny because all the movies that I wanted for the longest time eventually did make their way over to Criterion Collection. I'm thinking of movies like Come and See or Stalker. You know, there were a couple of different. Stalker is in now. That's what I mean. They, they made their way eventually. Oh, OK. Like these are the films that I was asking for for years and they finally made their way over. Um, but the movie that still has not made its way over that I'm still asking for. There's two that I have. OK. One is Ordinary People. Oh, that's a good one. I do not understand why Ordinary People does not have a proper Blu-ray release. It bugs the hell out of me. I just, please, somebody, make it happen. And the other one that um, I was very, very disappointed to hear that this did not work out, but I do remain hopeful for the future that it will. I would really like to see the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah, I mean, that's always been my number one because I do love that movie so much. But yeah, it it sounds like it's not going to happen in the near future, at least. So I want to remain hopeful, but that is definitely my number one for sure. Uh, I seem to say that answer all the time, though. So if I'm going to pick something else, uh, there was a movie that I was actually just thinking about recently that I really wish had a Blu-ray upgrade, which it doesn't. And I'm so upset about it. And it's this movie called Burnt Money. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I figured you would know what yes. this movie is, Dan. <laughs> uh, it, it's a Chilean movie, I think. I think it's from Chile. Or, I, I can't remember. It, it's I know that it's in um, South America. And it's like this 1960s crime thriller type movie where the two main characters are lovers. And it's a very, like not a traditional crime thriller. It is a lot slower and more intellectual, but it 
is so fascinatingly shot and very well acted. And it, I really like the look of that movie. And I have the DVD, but it's never gotten an actual Blu-ray release. And I want a Blu-ray so bad. And I feel like it would be a really nice fit with Criterion. So if I'm going to say something that isn't The Assassination of Jesse James, I'm going to say Burnt Money. I like that. The two that I have been craving for a while now are um, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Oh, yes. Which we know will just never, ever get a physical release because the music rights are insane. And the other is Ken Russell's The Devils. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) I've never seen The Devils. What? You've never seen The Devils? No. Matt. Yeah, no, I have never seen it. Oh, God. You real like whenever the opportunity comes, which I know is sort of difficult. Yeah, but it is it, it is available on DVDs. For a minute, I thought Josh was going to be like, "It's available on Tubi." <laughs> <laughs> it was available on Shutter. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw it on uh, Shutter. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it's oh, it is worth a watch. However, you can oh. get it. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love Ken Russell so much. Like the man was. <laughs> insane but i love him yeah <laughs> truly a mad genius of cinema yes actually a ken russell box set from criterion would be very cool all right oh, yeah. i am definitely adding this to my list because i just pulled it up and wow yeah it's crazy <laughs> yep. but he was crazy he was like literally insane but yeah he was great yeah um i got two more uh that i uh, just because we're just spewing things off here right now uh the conformist I think it's one of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen in my life. I would love to see that uh, through Criterion, a Criterion at some point. And uh, Seven Beauties, I'm surprised, has not found its way over to Criterion just yet. That would be really shock cool. me. Yeah. yeah. That seems like a perfect Criterion movie. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, another one that I that would be really cool is um, if they did a box set of the the Up series. The, that documentary yeah. series, that would be really cool. I could see Criterion doing that. All right. And then we're going to end things uh, this week with Ethan May. Replace the weakest nominee in your opinion from the categories below. Choose who should be there instead. Original screenplay. Going in order here. First year that he suggests. 1977. So for that year, we've got The Turning Point, Star Wars, The Late Show, The Goodbye Girl, and Annie Hall. Replace the weakest from 1977. Oh, I, The only one I haven't seen is The Late Show. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. Nope, I have not seen that. But I also do not like The Turning Point. <laughs> yeah, The Turning Point was one of those things that was a little bit of a discipline. Like, there are things about it that I like. But overall, it's not great. So this is very, very easy for me, especially in the category of original screenplay. I am putting in Eraserhead. Wow. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to do that. <laughs> um, sure. I. You know what I would do? Yeah, three women. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. I think I will. <laughs> I'll make Michael Schwartz happy. I'll say high anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. 
So, so wait a minute, just really quick. Are you guys not fans of Eraserhead? I mean, I have been on the record of being not the biggest David Lynch fan. So I think Eraserhead is, it's Eraserhead. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I understand. Yeah, like I, I tried. Maybe I was not in the right frame of mind for it when I watched it. There is a right frame of mind to be in when you do watch it, Dan. It just requires a little bit of um, a little bit of assistance. I know. And I was definitely too young when I saw it the first time, I think, because I, yeah, I was I should, bored yeah. off my ass. Yeah, I should probably give it another shot. Yeah. Oh, this one is really, really good. I uh, oh, man. OK, let's let's hear this one. 1989, we have When Harry Met Sally, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Do the Right Thing, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and the Oscar mm-hmm. winner, Dead Poet Society. Um, this is going to be, sound like a, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but I think I would maybe take out Dead Poets. Oh, okay. I mean, it's very, it's very wow. easy now to say take out crimes and misdemeanors, but like that is one of his better screenplays. I know that's why I was like, this is going to be interesting because I think this category is legitimately great. Yeah, it's legitimately great. And if if I'm forced to to add something, you take out Dead Poets Society. Yeah, I think I'd take out that. Like, if I'm forced to take one of them out, to be clear, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I think it would be Dead Poets. You know, I think I'm going to actually agree with you, Dan. And like, as we said, this is a great category. These are all great screenplays. But I do think that Dead Poets might actually be the weakest of the bunch. Yeah. Heresy. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, so since technically because of the stupid rules, Back to the Future Part 2 doesn't count. Hmm. I'm going with the cook, the thief, his wife. Oh, Dan, that was mine too. <laughs> Speaking of films, that should be in the Criterion Collection. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, I love that movie so much. All of his movies should be in Criterion. Yes. So good. What do you got, Josh? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> it's such a good category, and that was not a great year for movie well yeah that's the other problem it's like <laughs> one of the reasons why the category is so good is because they basically picked all the good original screenplays <laughs> this year <laughs> uh, what about um what about say anything eh, like i feel like same like you trade out uh dead poets for say anything that's kind of like on the same level yeah it's a wash yes, like yeah uh is steel magnolia's original no adapted that's adapted yeah <laughs> course all the good ones are adapted that's the thing like, uh, adapted. i'll just steal your answer because i don't have anything else <laughs> it doesn't matter because as long as we get rid of the winner then when harry met sally can win wait a minute wait a minute i gotta ask how do you all feel about heathers was that 89 i thought it was 88 i think it was 89 it was 89 i think it was 89 yeah no released at sundance in 89 and uh theatrical release in march of 89 i thought it was Earlier in the 80s than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take that then. All right. Well, that, there you go. You answered my question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Heathers. Great movie. All right. And in the last year, uh, he has provided here for us to choose between 2002. So for this year, we have Itu Mama Tambien, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Gangs of New York, 
Far From Heaven, and the Oscar winner, Talk to Her. This is ridiculously easy. You went from a really hard one to a really easy one. <laughs> Take out Gangs of New York. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Take that out. Get is it, it is the clearly, clearly the weakest one of the bunch. Get rid of it. Like, it's got moments of good writing in, like, certain individual scenes but as a whole i i agree it does not come together that was that was just purely a case of the weinstein uh machine using its magic yeah it's a coattail yeah, mm-hmm. yeah totally which honestly i feel like is most of john logan's nominations are coattails to just big movies that he just <laughs> yeah right for <laughs> yeah you're not wrong all right so what are we putting in um yeah and i'm gonna get Oh, God, people are going to hate me for this. But I do think that when we're thinking, we're talking about original screenplays, irreversible. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. That's a, that's a movie right there. That's a, yeah, that is, that's <laughs> yep. a lot of movie. There's a lot of really good adapted screenplays this year. Yeah, see, this is yeah. sort of the similar problem that I have with 89, which is I feel like most of my answers are in adapted, and the original field, I sort of feel like they got the good ones. It's a tough year for original. Dang, I was going <laughs> to... Because another one I was thinking of, I was just going to sort of be kind of jokey and throw out Undercover Brother. But apparently... <laughs> But I just looked it up and it says based on an internet series. So even that is technically adapted. <laughs> wow. I can't say 25th hour. Like, that's also adapted. adapted. Yep. It's like we're getting to the point. Where Catch like, Me If You Can is an adaptation as well. Yeah. I think of uh, Frank Abagnale's uh, biography. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting to things that are good, but not necessarily like Oscar nomination worthy. Like, I love Bend It Like Beckham, but the screenplay is not the best part of that movie. I think that's also 2003 though. They also hold that for 2003. <laughs> Cause I think that I remember that coming out the same time around of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean for Keira Knightley. All right. That did come out in the same year or, and if not that, then like unfaithful, like the script is not the reason that movie is good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is not like a real answer, but just to fulfill the prompt, I'm going to say eight-legged freaks. <laughs> Love it. That is a fun Oh, my God. Movie. I really uh, like that movie. I can't I, – I, I vividly remember rushing to the theater to go see that movie. I was so excited. Oh, you see, what's funny is that I had the opposite reaction initially. I thought the trailer made the movie look so stupid. Didn't watch it in theaters. Thought it was dumb. It came out on video, rented it one day because I was just looking for some stupid entertainment and then just had a blast with it. OK, you know what? If we're if we're going to go down this route right now where it's like I can't really think of much, but there are certain movies that I do like that I would throw in here that like they're not Oscar worthy, whatever that means to you. But I like them. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about phone booth? OK. I, I could I can get with that. That's another one where like I don't necessarily that I would single out the screenplay of that movie, but okay. I'm like I'm like really trying here, Val. <laughs> yeah. Well I I'm a little shocked that none of us said signs. I don't like signs. Oh my god. Yeah, you know what? Yes, it's signs. That's that's the real <laughs> answer. <laughs> 
I mean, because, yes, the ending is so stupid, but everything up to that point is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's another one where I feel like the direction is more of the heavy lifting of what makes that movie good. But, you know, it's not the worst screenplay that he's ever written. So, oh, oh, you know what? That's very true. I got one. I finally found one. What? Jesus Christ. Yes, I would definitely do this. This is easy. This is this is so much better than my phone booth answer. Punch drunk love. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. I have a feeling that the audience was probably shouting that answer at us throughout that entire discussion. <laughs> <laughs> what better way to end episode 250 than with the audience shouting at us? So Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of a better way to go out than with that. Yes, I'm sure they're very upset. <laughs> Thank you very much to the community for sending in your questions. Happy 4th of July, everyone. And... 250 episodes, pretty crazy. You know, you think about the fact that we're a quarter of the way uh, to a thousand, which, woo, pretty excited about that all around. I really, really wanted to say once again, thank you very much to the MVP film community. Without you guys, this place would be, well, this place would be pretty awful. <laughs> Dan? Tell everyone that's listening where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 250 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment there, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us, including the continuation of our 2013 retrospective, which is going on through the month of July and will end at the end of August. Thank you so much for listening, as always. We shall see you all next time. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.